First of all, I'd like to tell Kent that I appreciate the prayer on my behalf. I think anybody that stands in the pulpit and realizes the responsibility or feels the responsibility that they have to deliver God's word in a way that can be edifying and that we can all say that we uh, have left here today and be edified. We've had a good start to the day with Andrew's lesson this morning, and I think this, some of the things I'll have to say, he didn't walk on me. I think I'll hit kind of another part of that in uh, parts of this chapter, and I think they're going to fit very well together. It's Romans chapter 10 is what we're going to be speaking on tonight, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to read through the chapter. It's 21 verses, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to make comments as we go and kind of break it down into uh, smaller verses. Starting, in, and I will be reading from King James uh, tonight just because I've been in it too long and I just can't make my mind switch. So that's where we're, I'll be reading. It'll be a little different from the ones that are in the pews. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these, those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, who shall go ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in, in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have all, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have, have they not heard? Yes, verily. Their sound went out in, into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. But I, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will pro prove, provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people. And by a foolish nation, I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. As we start off uh, here in, in uh, Romans chapter 10, 
you, you can take this for what it's worth. As I, as I started going through this and I've been going through that, you know, we refer to Corinthians chapter 11 as the faith chapter. The faith of Abraham, the faith of Noah, the faith of Cain, and all, everything like that. And, you know, we, we tend to kind of attribute that to a one thing, but that's really when you look through Romans, that's what he's telling them. Faith, faith, and faith. Put your faith in Christ. And as we go through that, that's what he talks about here. First, he says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul makes this statement, and he makes it several other times in the New Testament, even to the point saying, I almost wish that I would be a castaway if the nation of Israel would just repent and turn to Christ. But his prayer for them is that they would be saved. He says he bears record of them. He says these guys, they have a knowledge and a zeal for God. They have a love for God. But the problem is it's misplaced. And the problem is that they're going about to seek their own righteousness, to establish their own righteousness in their lives by the way that they've taken the old law and added unto it. Is it, is it there? It says, for, uh, for righteousness being ignorant of God's... Or, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You know, I don't know that I've ever really thought about that, but when we take God's word and it says what it says and we begin to put our ideas and our thinksos on that, you know what we're doing? We're trying to establish our righteousness through our thoughts and through our thinksos rather than the th thinksos and the laws that are laid out by God. It's human arrogance on our part. And I don't know, I mean, that, that seems to be the problem, you know, as you look around in society, everybody wants to preach something that is relying upon self. Humanism, I, I've, I've spoke about that a lot, I've said that a lot, but humanism, it's just straight up. Man can do it better than God. Man can be in charge of his own destiny. We have that problem. As a species, as a creation, God, I don't know that that's God's creation. I think that's our fault as humans because we are lifted up in our own ideas. But the fact is we have a need to fix things ourselves rather than rely upon God. But you know, when we go about to establish our own righteousness through the things that we think, we're treading on dangerous ground. We're being just like the, the, the Jews of the old time because, you know, their problem was it wasn't good enough for the 630, 40-something laws that God gave them uh, on Mount Sinai. That wasn't good enough. They, the Pharisees and the uh, Sadducees had to go about and make more laws. The very things that they tried to accuse Jesus of, the point of washing is saying his disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. There was nothing in the Old Testament that said you had to wash your hands before you ate. But that was a law that they were binding upon people because they were going about to establish their own righteousness. And if we try to add to the things that we think so, this popular saying, well, you know, I know it's a little different, but I think God wants, to be, wants me to be happy. God does not want you to be happy at the expense of his word. Period. End of discussion. He wants you to be happy in his word, in his word alone. And Callens thinks so's, and anybody else thinks so's, don't make a hill of beans when they are in conflict to God's word. We cannot establish our own righteousness. Just look around. It doesn't take us very long to realize when you put man in charge of something, it falls apart. But when you put God in the plan and you put him in the foundation, everything seems to run right. Let's pick it up in verse 4 there. 
uh, through verse 8, I believe. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith, which we preach. And we're going to stop there. I know it carries over on into verse 9, but I want to break it right there. He goes on and he begins to contrast just a little bit the old law to the new law. And it's a little bit confusing there when he talks about who will say that is going to go up to heaven and bring Jesus down or who is going to go into the deep and bring Jesus up from the deep. That's a direct quotation of Isaiah. But I think it better could be easier understood. I'm not going to say better. Easier understood in the terms like this. Jesus is the end of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment and the culmination of the old law. When he came, he took that old law and he nailed it to his cross. Not that the old law was, uh, was a wrong law, but the fact was the old law was built and set up to show man that he alone cannot save himself. Because if you would have took the old law and followed every one of those commandments every day of your life for however long you lived, that was God's plan to show you what it took for man to be saved on his own. And man can't do it. And the point behind all that is that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was the end of the law. That's why he was the fulfillment of the old law because of the fact when he came, Man switched from a law of thou shalts and thou shalt nots, and if you'll just follow the rules and keep your head down and keep plugging on, it wasn't quite as faith-based as you had the law laid out in front of you, every single thing. But when Jesus came and that blood was shed on that cross, no longer did we have to go by, by that old law of the sacrifices and the washings and all of those things, but we went to a law of faith. And a big part of that faith was believing that Jesus Christ came to this world that God sent him, that he died on that cross, and then he died for our sins and all the various things that, that we read about. The fact of laying our entire control and existence over to Jesus because he made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And you know, I don't know about you, but that is a tough thing for me to lay control over. You know, I, I, we've, we've been studying some, and, and I told the group that we were studying with, I said, that is one of my greatest problems, is laying it down at God's feet and not going and picking it back up. It's easy to lay it down, but me, I always want to go back and pick it up and say, but you know, God, well, if I could just help in this area, that's not laying it down, that's not faith, is it? And that's the whole point he's trying to get across, or they're trying to get across in the old days, is the faith in Jesus Christ. The faith that he was the Son of God, and getting people to see that. And we'll deal with that a little further, uh, a little more uh, in the next reading. But uh, I want to get back to what he's talking about there, when he's descending down, or descending up and, and bringing uh, Jesus down, or bringing Jesus down, or going descending and bringing Jesus up. I think the better way to say that, or the, the clearer way for us to say it in, in our speech is, don't worry about all these intricate things that men like to concoct about God. 
He said, it's all of these things, you know, you don't have to worry about going into heaven and seeking out God and, and Jesus and bringing him down. You don't have to worry about going down into the grave and bringing Jesus back and all these hard things that people want to ascribe to the law and ascribe to God's word. But he said, the fact is, it's right there with you. It's in his words that he taught. It's simple. Don't go looking for things that aren't there. Don't go trying to build things into God's word that are not there. This book was written on a 12th grade level at the most. It was written so people like me that are uneducated can read it. People that have a very limited education can understand and know what Jesus had to say for them. You know, our society wants that. They want a complicated... Uh, we like movies like uh, National Treasure. I would truly love to think that there's a, uh, a map on the back of Declaration of Independence and there's a massive treasure somewhere. That's awesome. That's neat things to me. You know, I think in another life, if that was the case, I would want to be an archaeologist. I would love to discover things that were hidden, especially of ancient things. And we, we want that. We're drawn to that, aren't we? We like that. That's why we like stuff like that. But that's not the way God's Word is. It's simple and it's straightforward. And it goes back to when we start putting our think-sos and our crazy crackpot theories that are floating around out there. That's what he's saying. Stick to the word. It's there. It's the word we preach to you. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor. Love God. That's all simple things. And that's what, that's what I, as I see in that, and somebody can correct me if they've got a different view on that, but that's, that's, that's how I see that. And he's saying that, you know, our, the word is nigh. And that's something that, you know, that's something that, that really hit me. And we, I was talking with, with Stanley the other day, and we were talking about how we like to beat on the children of Israel in the old law. We like to talk about, wow, the children. Man, if I just saw the Red Sea part, man, I'd never step away. Man, if I, if I saw the manna from heaven, I'd never step away. You know, that's, that's our mindset. But we have the exact same thing. We have his word, and it's nigh to us. It is, in this country, it is probably the most accessible thing that we can get our hands on. We, people have said it before. It's on our phones. It's on our coffee table. It's beside our bed. It's possibly in the desk drawer at work. It's all over where we're at. It's nigh to us, but it's up to us to have the faith to reach out and grab it, to open the pages and put our nose in the book and really understand it and to read it. And that's what he's saying. It's nigh at hand. We've preached it to you. You hear it every time from this pulpit. You hear it preached. It's nigh to you. Now let's pick it up in verse 9 through 13. <clears throat> it says that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and, unto the, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now this is where I want to get into and kind of, I think where it meshes in with the lesson this morning and grace and all that. I, I would dare say that that group of verses right there, is probably one of the most, some of the most misapplied by the religious world today. It's probably the closest thing that I've found to the sinner's prayer 
that many, many denominations use. You know, just say this prayer and accept Jesus into your heart and you're going to be saved. And that's always bothered me from the time that, that I, you know, from the time I was young, you know, why didn't Jesus or why didn't God, every time that he said, believe, repent, confess, why didn't he throw baptism in there? Why didn't he just say every time, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, believe, repent, you know, and, and make it 100% more clear. That was my, my human thinking, and, that, and that, I struggled with that for a while because many times, if, if you've ever visited with people, you know, you say, well, you know, you, you use 1 Peter 3.21, Acts 2.38, you know, where it brings in baptism. It talks about baptism being essential under the steps of salvation. And they go, well, but I tell you what, I can present just as many verses that says all you got to do is believe. All you got to do is love. And, that, and this may be the answer. I don't know. I still got a, hopefully a little time left on this earth to, to, to work it out in the few years coming. But the fact is, I think the reason in some instances like in this that it's just talking about uh, confession and belief and faith, that's what they were dealing with right now in that time when Romans was written. They, written, they were dealing with trying to get people to believe that Jesus was actually the Son of God and not just some carpenter's son from Galilee or from Nazareth. You know, that's, that's what they were dealing with. And I think that's why he didn't go into the fact of believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. He's dealing with faith and belief right here with these people. He, they knew what they needed, and that's what he's saying. And before you, uh, you know, something I, I want to bring up in this, if we go to pick and choose salvation passages from God's Word, let's say one person, I, I choose Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 where he says you must believe and repent, and you're saved. But then you come over here and you say, well, but I tell you what, verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Which one is it? And we've heard this before, and, I, and I, it's nothing new, but I don't want to cover it without, without, without saying this. The fact is, doesn't it make sense, instead of us saying this verse says and this verse says, so what's going on? We've got a conflict. The Bible doesn't conflict. The point is, all through there, we have to take verses in the general scheme of how the Bible fits together, and we see that everything in the gospel plan of salvation that has been taught, belief, repent, confess, and be baptized, are all listed in the New Testament. One does not exclude the other. If that was the case, we'd have so many, you could, you, you know, if you just believed, well, there you can be saved because we can find verses on that. Well, all you got to do is repent. You don't have to believe in Jesus, just repent. Well, all you got to do, well, I want to go to the church that says all you got to do is confess. You see what I'm saying? It makes sense that when you study that and you see those things and you see the gospel preached that it all fits together. It's not one verse cancels out another. This one cancels out that one. The reason it's written like this, I believe, and to the best of my knowledge that I've come up with is because that's the way it was important at the time. That's what they were needing to see because they needed the faith. I don't think baptism was a problem. You know, that's not as big a problem when you're dealing with either pagan cultures or different cultures. Baptism isn't as big a point as it is here amongst Christians. Christians probably fight more about baptism than, than, than new converts or, or other places that are idol worshipers. They don't, they don't fight about going into the water. 
They're just glad to hear about a, an actual human being and a caring God that isn't trying to mess up their life for fun, but somebody that actually cares for them. And I just wanted to mention that to say, you know, you will encounter that. If you haven't encountered it, people will say, well, you know, you're, you're pushing baptism over here. Well, I, you know, hey, I've got a hundred verses that backs up belief only or faith only. And the point is, don't fall into that trap. They all fit together and make those steps. And if you'll take the time and learn those verses, you can show that step. And you can put those things together and you'll be effective when that argument comes into play. He makes a distinction there to him. He says in verse 12, For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Well, as you know, and, and my wife has made this statement a lot, and, and, and it stuck with me. She said, imagine living in the time when Jesus preached. For, how, for four, well, let's say 2,500 years, all the Jewish people had known was the old law, sacrifice, the Sabbath being holy, don't do this, don't do that. You know, you can't talk to these people, you can't do... All these different things that are laid out for 2,500 years. Now all of a sudden this guy comes in and he's claiming to be the Son of God and he tells you to take everything that you've known your entire life and you wipe it away. And now you're going to start over. And then on top of that... All the infidels that you have believed all your whole life were, were not worth even, even helping on the side of the road, as Jesus said in one of his passages. He says, now they're going to sit in the pew with you. And you're going to call them your brothers and sisters. And you're going to love them. And you're going to worship together. And they're going, well, hold on. Can you imagine the turmoil spiritually that that put on early day Christians? But that's exactly what he's saying. And that's a radical concept. You know, I think a lot of times we read over that. We don't realize how radical of an idea that was at the time and how hard. Well, it was even hard for the people that walked with Jesus. It was hard for Peter to get over that. Because Paul withstood him to the face when he said, you are to be blamed because you're separating yourself from our, our Gentile brethren. He said, that ain't how it works in the church. And, you know, that's another thing. It's really easy to whip on the, the children of Israel or the, even the early Christians. They aren't the children of Israel at that time. They're, they may be of Jewish lineage, but they're our early brothers and sisters in the church. They had a problem with it. And, you know, we beat on them for that, but, you know, that's something we need to look at. Do we have a problem with the guy that's sitting across from us on the pew? You know, we've said it before, what about the guy that looks like he fell into a tackle box and he has tattoos everywhere? Does he not deserve the Lord as much as the next person? Everybody. Everybody needs God. Everybody needs to look out for him. And we need to be those people. We need to take the example of Jesus, and we need to have that faith and love people. Because God came, Jesus came for the sick. He said he didn't come for the well. And that's what this building is right here is a hospital. It's another saying of my wife's. This is a hospital and we're all patients. And everybody here is sick and they're broken by sin and they need God. And everybody outside there needs God too. And that's the beauty of that verse right there. If, if you don't know it as a Gentile, as every one of us, that if, if you aren't of Jewish descent, 
If that, was, that verse wasn't in it right there and the next ones we're going to read, we would have no hope to be reconciled to our God. Now, there'd be a different set of rules for us, but we would not enjoy the things we enjoy today. And that's a beautiful verse, as small and obscure as that is. He came for everybody. Let's pick it up in verse 14 through 17. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now he begins to, I'd say, he shifts the spotlight just a little bit. It's still in the, the realms of salvation and, and how to gain it. But he said, you know, we're talking about all these people that, Jesus, that God is going to bring in. And he's talking about when these people need to have faith and they need to realize that God's all around them. Now we're going to get into the second part. How are those people going to know about it? There's very few of us probably in this building that just picked up a Bible one day that had never heard about it before, never seen it before, never heard a sermon before, and picked it up and read it and went, hey, man, I need to find a church somewhere that I can be baptized for the remission of my sin and I need to get saved. Somebody preached to you, whether it was a mother, whether it was a father or a friend, you know, whatever your relation, the word had to be preached to you unless you're one of those that actually did that. And there are a few out there, and it can be done. But the fact is, he starts to talking about, he moves the shift, shifts it now onto the congregation or to the believers at that point there in Rome. He says, now you say, we say all these people need to believe and they need to have faith, but how are they going to believe if they've never heard? How are they going to hear if somebody don't go out and preach it to them? And, you know, and, and he says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? You know, that, what Craig talked about the contribution this morning, and he talks about all the things that are being done. That's sent. You want to know how do they, how do they preach, but yet the, if they're not sent? They're sent by congregations, in there, and our evangelists are sent with the money that we put together, and they're sent forth into the world, and they preach the gospel. But that does not absolve you and I. What about your relations? How will they hear except you preach to them? You've been sent. You've, you've sat in this church enough and, and heard the verses and heard the sermons that says, go out, go ye into all the world, Matthew chapter 28. How are your acquaintances going to hear the gospel if you don't preach it to them? Are you willing? That's what he says. He says it can't get done if we're not out there preaching it. Are we out there living it? Are we out there pushing it? You know, that's what Paul said. Can you imagine making the statement, and, and I, I equate it uh, to the fact of, you know, there's Texas, and then there's everywhere else. You know, we feel that way. You know, people that live in this state, they love this state, and they're very proud of this state. And in the way that, you know, very, you, you talk to most people, they'll say, well, you know, we were once a nation. You know, nearly every Texan that's lived here any amount of time will say, well, you know, we're a nation. We'd go back if we wanted to. You know, there's that pride, Right? That's not a bad thing, and that's what exactly what Paul was saying in the first of that cha- of the chapter when he said, I would that the entire Jewish people would turn to God. He had that attitude, and even to the point he said, I would be a castaway if I could just get 
my brothers and sisters to come to church of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish people. Are we there? Do you care that much about the guy on the street? Sadly, I, I struggle with that. I love my family, and I want them to know the gospel. I love my friends, and I want them to know the gospel. Again, it comes back to the people that I run into and have influence with. Am I preaching to them? You know, that may be, you know, we've said it before, you know, the songs and, and different things, you know. We may be the only Bible that somebody reads. And I know that's a little bit cliche, but sometimes in this day and time, you're dealing with people that are fifth and sixth generations, never set foot in a church except for a wedding or a funeral. You may be their only link. And, you know, somebody, somebody said in a lesson one time, and, and I struggle to, to remember the name, but they said, you know, what if you get to heaven and you're looking at all the hands that you're holding and there's God way off in the distance and you're holding the person in front of you and they're holding hands and it's coming down and you see where you're holding hands and then you look behind you and there's nobody behind you. You're the last one in line because you didn't bring anybody with you. And then you see your friend on judgment day and he says, why didn't you tell me? We sat in an office for six years together. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you love me enough to tell me? I've found myself in that situation many times. Just because it, you know, well, I just don't want to hassle, you know, I don't want to not, you know, I don't want to get in trouble with HR. I don't want to do this. You know what? Jesus didn't worry about HR. He didn't. He didn't worry about the cross that loomed in his future or the beating that he was going to take. You're not going to get nailed to a cross for telling your buddy about God's word, about the gospel. More than likely, you're not going to get fired. You might get rolled up and they tell you not to, and then you deal with that as it comes. It's not a lot of trouble, is it? Not when you look at what our brothers and sisters went through and what Jesus went through. One more thing there, he said, but they have not obeyed, in verse 16, the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed, I report. You know, and, and to me, that's, that's what he's saying. He says, not everybody that we run across is going to be receptive to the gospel. So don't get in, this, don't get in the mindset, well, if I, you know, I've had 15 studies and there, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't got anybody to, to commit to, to another study or, or, or being baptized or, or anything like it. They just walk out the door. I, I just can't do it. Even Isaiah said, you know, they're not all. He said, he, he, in, uh, in this, he says, they have, have they not believed our report? What we're telling them, don't they believe it? You know, Elijah, the very, one of the guys right after he, he tore down the, the altar of Baal and defeated all the priests of Jezebel, of, uh, of Baal, and he goes out and Jezebel's trying to kill him, and he's running for his life, and she killed some of the, uh, the, the priests of God, and he sits down and he says, God, he said, might as well let it all go now, because said, there ain't nobody left serving you but me. And God set him straight. He said, I've got 5,000 men that have not bowed their knee to Baal. A little bit of a humility check there. I'm the only one left, God. And boy, I, these studies I'm doing, I just, can't, I just can't do it. It's not working out. Maybe number 17 is the one. It may be number 35. It may be 105. But is it worth it to preach the gospel 105 times to get one soul? Jesus said it was. He said, I left the 90 and 9 to go get the 1. And sometimes you've got to wade through a lot of bushes and a lot of trees and a lot of land covered to get to that 1. And that's where we need to be.
It's what we need to be doing. Every day, he needs to be part of our lives. We need to be a walking gospel sermon, if you will. Live what, live what you know, live what you love, live what you read. Starting in verse, uh, well, Peter, in verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You know, we talk about our faith a little bit, and that's one thing. How did we build our faith? You know, we say, I want more faith. God, I want more faith. And that's something that we need to pray for. But we get more faith by what? Hearing the word of God. Reading the word of God. Knowing what Jesus has. You know, and that's, you know, I, I said earlier, I struggle with laying it at Jesus' feet because I just really think that Callan needs to go back over there and pick that problem back up and help God with it. I'm just that arrogant. But the fact is, God doesn't need my help. And, you know, that's, that's, it's really easy. And, I, and don't ever fall into the category of, well, you know, if you'll just have more faith, brother, you're, I know you're going through this, and my life's really great right now, but you've got a problem, and you just need to have more faith. It don't always work that way, people. That's good advice. But the fact is, sometimes that person is scratching and fighting and clawing, and he's on his knees every day, and he does have faith, or she does have faith. But man, it's mounting up fast, and they're barely treading water. And sometimes their faith is on a knife edge, not, not because of lack of faith, but because of all the things that are pushing them down, and they're close. You know, it's, not, it, it's probably not a sin problem. It's a life problem. Don't ever fall into that and say, well, you know, you just need more faith. Sometimes applying faith is a lot harder than what we think it is, and especially when we're sitting and not having any problems telling somebody, well, just have faith. We need to walk through it with them. We need to help them with the faith. Because you know what? We talk about the poem in the sand and, and, and you know, the time they said, well, Jesus, why aren't you with me? There's only one set of footprints. He said, that's when I was carrying you. Brothers and sisters, don't think that we don't need to carry each other. And if you've ever been carried, you understand. You understand what it's like when that person comes in and they carry you. And Jesus is there beside you. We can carry each other and we need to. We need to. Because that's what we're here for. We're not here to just fill a pew. We're here to love each other and carry each other and love God and serve him. Pick it up in verse 18. But I say, have you not heard, yea, verily, Yea, ver let me restart. But I say, have they not heard? Asking the question. Yes, verily or truly, their sound went out into, went into all the earth and their words unto the end of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me, but to Israel he saith all day long, I've stretched it forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. You know, he closes the, well, or they break the chapter right there when he says, you know, he said, have they not heard? He said, yes, they've heard. It's been preached to the end of the world. They knew that under the, the Old Testament was preaching about Christ from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3. I believe, he said, I will, I will, you will, see, that's why it's come back this morning, this, uh, 
I will, he will, you will bruise his head, head and heel. He talks about bruising Jesus' heel and, and Jesus crushing Satan's head. There we go. From the very beginning, he started that. They, they knew the Messiah was coming. The woman at the well that was a Samaritan that only had a messed up form of Judaism, she said, we know that Messiah comes. We know we're waiting on him. It wasn't something that just popped out of the blue that Jesus said, okay, here I am, the Messiah, and everybody's going, I don't understand what's going on. They knew exactly Messiah was coming. They just didn't want to believe that he was there, and that's what he said. He said, he said they've heard, yeah, they've heard. We've all heard. You move it to the New Testament, yeah, everybody has heard about Christ. I guess there's a few pockets that maybe not ha- that haven't. But everybody knows who Jesus is. The word's there. It's just up to us to sometimes correct that word and get the right form of that gospel in people's hands. But he said, didn't Israel know? He said, Moses told him. Now he's going to talk about bringing in the children of Israel that was such a strange thing to him. He said he would uh, anger them or provoke them to jealousy by bringing in people that were not his people. That's the Gentiles. See, he wasn't just going to open it up to the Jews. He opened it up to you and I, the Gentiles. And he brought us in. That's another one of them great passages that I'm as glad's there so I can be a part of the church. He said, I was found in them that sought me not. You know, there was no way for, the, for a Gentile, other than being a proselyte, to, to have a relationship with God. You were just out of luck. Now, you were judged, I believe the Bible tells us, by a different set of rules. You were judged by a simple set of morality, but you could not be close to God like the children of Israel were. You were not called a child of God. You were a Gentile. You were nothing. But he said, now those people that had nothing will be mine. And they will call me a God, and I will call them my children. I will call them my people because they sought after me. They had the faith to seek after me. And he said in verse 21, he says, but to Israel... He said, all day long I've stretched out my hands to you, to a disobedient and gainsaying people. And he said, you slap my hand every time. I sent you prophets and you killed them. Sent you another prophet and you killed them. A prophet after prophet after prophet. Red sea parting after red sea parting. Battle after battle. And he said, you've slapped my hands away from you every time. Don't let that be us. God's reaching out to us every single day. His word is setting in front of us every single day, and he's reaching out to us. He's groping for us, and he's asking. He's not going to force you to come to him, but he's searching, and he's waiting. Don't slap his hand away. Have the faith to lay the things at Jesus' feet that needs to be laid there. Have the faith to follow him. Have the faith to preach the gospel. Have the faith that whatever you need and whatever you need to do, have the faith to do it. Because a very wonderful person died for you. The Son of God died for us. He shed his blood on the cross, and he lived for 33 years every day knowing he was one day closer to the cross. You think he didn't know what it was going to be like? He knew what it was like every day. And we complain because we 
or worried about the HR department getting upset because we talked to our buddy about the church and he was offended. Don't slap God's hand away. Don't turn away the opportunities that we have. That's all I have to say. I hope the things that I've said that you can say that you've been edified and that, like I said before, that has been my prayer. Uh, we haven't really dived in or dove into the, the gospel plan of salvation, but if there is anybody that has been taught and would like to be buried with uh, their Lord and Savior in baptism and become a member of his church, don't put that off. I say it every time, and I mean it. I may not make it to the doors back there. We're not promised tomorrow. You aren't either. Don't put it off. We got water in the back. We got clothes on the side. You don't even have to get your church clothes dirty or wet. If there's anybody here that feels they've strayed away, feels like their relationship is not what it, what it should be, I, I'll say again, don't leave this building till you get it right. We're here to pray with you, pray for you. If there's one of either class, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.